Welcome to Kiri Presents or Inspiring Stories. This is the health and wellbeing podcast where I sit down with a special guest to discuss a topic for one of the calendar awareness days. The aim of this podcast is to inspire, inform and celebrate the people who share their incredible stories to help others. So sit back and enjoy. In this very special podcast episode, it's an honour to talk to Laura about her daughter Sophie and the weight she has on the organ transplant list for a double lung transplant. Laura shares her current lived experience and why she is advocating saying yes to organ donation in order to save the lives of thousands of children who are currently on the transplant list. The podcast coincides with Organ Donation Awareness Week, which was the 18th to the 23rd of September 2023. There's some really powerful messages discussed by Laura, and we hope it raises awareness of the impact of organ donation and why talking about it in families is so important. And here's the show. Good morning, Laura. Thank you for joining me today on this podcast and having a conversation about organ donation with me. It's a pleasure to have you. How are you feeling today? Yeah, good morning. Thank you for having me on the podcast. It's a pleasure to be here and to talk about organ donation and mine and my daughter's perspective on that. And yeah, we're we're good. Thank you. That's really good to hear. Thank you. So start by telling me about the background about your daughter, Sophie. What is she like? How old is she? And of course, why you're on this podcast today. So uh, Sophie's currently 10 and she is amazing. Sophie was born, diagnosed during pregnancy and born with a congenital heart defect. Quite a rare heart defect, but actually one of the more manageable heart defects. Corrected transposition of the great arteries, which is where the arteries and ventricles are transposed. So the left side of the heart does the work of the right side of the heart. And she was also born with a large hole between the ventricles, a VSD. So we knew at delivery, which we had at Southampton, we knew that there would be some surgical intervention, but we didn't know at what stage. And Sophie got to about eight weeks before she needed her first operation, which is where they placed a pulmonary artery band around one of our arteries mm-hmm. to help restrict the blood flow to the lungs, to protect it from the damage that the VSD might cause. That was done to prepare her for a more major surgery to correct the anatomy of the heart, to make it more of a normal functioning heart, so that in theory, the ventricles would be doing the correct work. We went for a pre-op assessment for that when she was 14 months, and it was during that and some of the tests that they did that she was then diagnosed further with a rare lung disease called pulmonary arterial hypertension. And... I think globally about 1% of the population have this particular lung disease and it is life limiting, it is progressive and there's no surgical fix for this. So Sophie was transferred to Great Ormond Street to be put under their treatment. They have the National Service for Pulmonary Arterial Hypertension where she was started on medication and monitored through them to try and slow down the progression and to see moving forward what options were available. 
With the heart defect as well, it did throw up quite a lot of complications. So we went through a period of quite close monitoring, a lot of tests, admissions for diagnostic procedures just to monitor. And then the discussion came around as to when we should take the band off that was currently in place, because as safety grows, the band gets tighter around the artery and it causes more symptoms. And we got very, very close to having that surgery off back in 2021. But the day before we were being admitted, the surgeon called the procedure off. So we were packed, ready to go up and have this. We knew the risks were high because of the other conditions that she has. But at the time, it was felt that because she was quite well in herself, that it would be the right time to try and take the band off to see if we could alleviate any symptoms and then focus treatment on the pulmonary hypertension. Because there are other options available, but because she had the band on, we couldn't pursue them. So we got really, really close to that. And it wasn't until the day before that, unfortunately, the surgeon decided that the risks were too significant and that there was a potential that the surgery wouldn't have been successful. And if there were any complications from that, she would then not be a candidate for transplant moving forward, which we knew we would need to get to because of the nature of progression of the pulmonary hypertension in the lungs. Yeah. So it was called off. I suppose it was a mix of emotions, really. We were really glad that we didn't go ahead with something that could have been catastrophic. But equally, we had also prepared to go through that surgery. So we were up and down with how we felt about that. But now looking back, obviously, the right decision was to call that surgery off. So we got to that stage and then Sophie was put forward for transplantation discussion and assessment. So that's performed by another team at Great Ormond Street. And we went up late last year for some testing. They do three to four days of testing, a host of tests, all these wonderful things that they do to ascertain um, like a baseline health status and then what is potentially the best transplantation. Now, ideally, Sophie would have benefited from a double lung and a heart transplant, but due to her size and the limitations with the time that we have to do this, um, it would have been unlikely that she would have received a heart-lung transplant. The, the, the three sort of in one go, ready. Yeah, they call it the block, like a heart-lung block. And there's a few reasons for that. Is One is the size. So Sophie is below 40 kilos. She's only 26 kilos at the moment. And as well as taking a heart-lung block from one donor can potentially save two or three lives, depending on where those organs can go. So there's a longer wait for those types of organ transplants. We could have gone on that list, but the likelihood is we would not have received an organ donation in the time frame. So if you would have needed it. So there was months of discussion with multiple specialists and Eventually, it came to the decision that for Sophie to get an organ and to be offered an organ, the best route for her was to be listed for a double lung transplant and at the same time perform some complex cardiac surgery to take the band off, to repair the artery and to close the hole between the ventricles. They feel that that while her heart function is good, that she will get the best benefit post-lung transplant if we can perform that surgery at the same time but it is a very complex procedure and then loads more additional risks as well because as well as having a double lung transplant she's going to have some intense cardiac surgery so 
the risk and that's going to be a longer operation as well and the longer an operation is is there more risks involved yeah absolutely so the operation is about 10 to 12 hours if it goes smoothly the complications arise because Sophie would have to go on to a heart lung bypass machine so that then would additional stress onto the heart so if she was just having her lung transplant obviously it's a massive massive surgery and the body takes quite a hit from that but the heart wouldn't have been being it would have been preserved there would have been no surgery the complications are because as well as putting in new lungs they're also going to have to almost damage the heart to repair it which could make a really prolonged recovery mm-hmm. and risk because of that but We've only got a short window of time to do this because Sophie's heart function is quite stable. But as soon as the heart function starts to deteriorate, which it will do because of the pressures that are being put, yeah. it's being put under, then once the heart deteriorates to a point that it wouldn't, I suppose, be viable to go through surgery with that, yeah. then our, our option of transplantation would be would be removed and we wouldn't have that option. So we're sort of in a in a funny position because Sophie is quite well and isn't in hospital at the moment but we've got a very short window of time to perform the transplant to repair the heart before the opportunity is taken from us so again after months and months of discussion we were listed back in May this year and we are currently on the active transplant list for that procedure Wow. And to, to go through all of that since she was a baby and to talk about it so calmly is incredible, Laura. So thank you so much for sharing no, that you. with I, us. It's yeah, it's, it's very common. And you almost become a little bit detached and you mm. because you've got to talk about and be so aware of the situation. And with our children, obviously, we are their voice in a lot of situations as they yeah. grow. And you've got to advocate for them. You You sort of become as specialized as you can be yeah um, and you naturally want to learn everything you could learn and be able to communicate it effectively so it's been a challenging but interesting 10 years to know just how much goes on behind the scenes in the hospitals yeah. and what you learn about the processes that they do and how fantastic they are in these processes amazing so obviously you've got all the knowledge now so tell us then do you know how organ donation actually works all the processes that they have to go through Yeah, so I can give you a little bit from our perspective, um, what we've experienced so far. So we obviously went up for a intense couple of days of testing and they're performed every year when you're on the donation list. You have repeat tests just to ascertain where you are if there's any deterioration. And then once you're listed for organ donation, it's a really bizarre type thing, really. Like you get listed and then you're left with, okay, so we'll phone you. (laughs) And then you, you start living, waiting for that call. And it, it again, it's a mixture of emotions because you have to go about your daily life as if you're not expecting that call, but you could receive it. And at any moment, it changes then your future significantly. We've had one call so far with an offer and we got blue lighted up to gosh. And on arrival there, we got admitted onto the ward and Sophie underwent quite extensive pre-op testing she got seen by a few doctors she had cannulas blood swabs taken then we went through consent with the transplant team and the surgical team and we consented for the procedure they discussed with us how it was going to happen they explained that they were going to do the lung transplantation first and then they were going to start the cardiac surgery 
and during the whole time the the specialist transplant team up at gosh they're just fantastic they are so so good they were keeping us updated with what was going on with the donut so while we are one patient in a hospital setting obviously this donor um, was donating organs that were going to multiple hospitals around the country so it's a really meticulous like time frame that they work to and mm. they all liaise with each other and they've all got to get their patients in that are coming in and they've all got to undergo their testing and everything needs to be sort of tied up before they start their retrieval so we were told that retrieval was going to begin about 2 a.m. in the morning. Then it was local, so the organs would come to gosh. And during the whole evening, they performed tests on the donor and the organs that they're retrieving. So they were looking at, in our aspect, they were looking at the lungs. They were doing some bronchoscopies. They were checking the tissue. And it was all looking a really good, positive offer. And we were getting really, really close now. So about one o'clock, half past one the nurse comes in and I was thinking, oh, this is it. We're going to go down. And unfortunately, depending how you look at this, one of Sophie's swabs had come back positive for rhinovirus. So in theory, the common cold. And they decided that given the impact the surgery is going to have and the risk her immune system was already going to be put under and the stress, that having this cold on board meant that she would be unable to have the transplant. Mm-hmm. And was a risk obviously that safety wouldn't survive the surgery and more so there was also a risk that the organs would have been rejected and if that was the case then it would have been unsuccessful so we went home <laughs> so in a long story short we went up for the evening and had all the tests we were preparing for it and then at the last minute mm-hmm. unfortunately this time it wasn't the right time for us fortunately the lungs didn't get wasted they were transplanted into another patient that was suitable so the silver lining on that is that the donor obviously was successful and the organ went to another candidate which was brilliant yeah you can take comfort from that that they weren't wasted and were utilized in, in another way how do you know how suitable you are for an organ do they test beforehand did they know sophie was a match before she went into yeah yeah so preliminary sort of checks are done so when you go onto a list they've already done tissue typing on you they've already done blood grouping so they have all that information and I think they're the two of the key indicators when they're looking for someone to come in for that organ is they match for those they then ascertain travel distance and then they also look at the health of the patient so before we were called in they asked you know how how is Sophie and at this point she had no symptoms she was Mm probably just coming down with this cold so she had no cough or cold so we went up and even on examination she she wasn't unwell so it was an incidental finding but one that if we ignored could have been awful so they look at lots of different aspects and they do have information available to them before they call you in over whether the the donor is suitable because there's so many children and adults on a list that they want to get the correct ones in as quickly as possible so that was our perspective of what was going on. And around the country, we were one patient of potentially eight or nine for that case being called in because they were transplanting other organs. So this was happening on a mass scale, really. Yeah. And uh, they coordinate it all meticulously. They are constantly on their phones. They are all updating that they've got their patient in. The other hospitals got their patient in because they can't start the retrieval process until everyone is, is, is ready. ready to receive the organ. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing how one body can actually save a number of lives with the different organs that they can donate, isn't it? That's incredible. Fantastic, yeah. And 
So the perspective, the other side, obviously, at this time is for us, we're thinking, okay, we're going to get this organ and donor. But sadly, the other side to organ donation is that unfortunately, someone is passing away. And so what they are doing for us is fantastic. But what they're doing, the other side to that is it's such a sensitive and emotive time for the families that are obviously agreeing for their loved ones to be organ donation. So they are as well providing such high quality care the other side as well so it's you know the whole process is so sensitive for everybody involved not just the recipients like ourselves who are you know we're not excited for the situation but we're thinking okay brilliant this is what we need to happen but the downside to this is you always have in the back of your mind and always have in the forefront when you're going through this that there is another side that is happening that is allowing this opportunity and that sort of brings you back down to the realistic side of what is going on here. Well someone has to die like you said before in our pre-chat to save your daughter's life someone else has to die. Yeah and And yeah it's a tormenting thought because Mm. nobody in an ideal world there would be other options available to us all but there isn't and organ donation is the only bridge to the needs of what children and adults have to have to have a chance at life but you don't spend a day where you don't think, okay, for this to happen, someone else has to pass away. And then their families have to make a difficult decision at an already, you know, immensely traumatic time. An unthinkable day. And they've got to make that decision in a very time sensitive way as well, like you've said. So they've, they've got to cope with that grief and then also not have the pressure as such, because like you say, the care that the hospital staff give is just incredible but they do have to make that decision fairly quickly, don't they? Yeah, totally. So I think only one in a hundred people that die are actually suitable for organ donation. There's like a really massive criteria that has to be met before Mm. a patient who is sadly, you know, has reached the end of their life in most likely quite traumatic circumstances. For them to be a donor, there is a massive criteria that has to be met. So there's so many things going on the other side and one in a hundred people are probably only eligible to donate their organs so if if you are in that position the emotions that you must be going through it's hard to even put into words how overwhelming that must be to even consider it at the time and I think I know we'll talk a bit later on about the opt-in and opt-out and I think that has helped in a lot of cases but with children obviously the families and the parents make that decision and I think a lot of the campaigns that go on at the moment and for children donation is the awareness of it before, hopefully you never get to that point, but to have an awareness and understanding of it in case that did happen so that you could have an understanding of it in a less emotive situation. Yeah, well, let's talk about the current organ donation law because it has changed recently, hasn't it? So what is the new law and is it different for children and adults? So it is still different for children and adults. So the new law or the opt-in system is that unless you actively opt out or withdraw consent, then you are opted in to organ donation. Wow. So you still have a choice. But I think it puts the emphasis on if you definitely don't want this, then you go and you, you make that decision. So you can withdraw at any time. You can agree now in two years time, you change your opinion and you can withdraw your consent. For children, there is no opt-in or opt-out. It is still decided by the families, which I think is the right thing. I think for our children, you know, we are still their parents and we still want to make the best decisions for them and for us. And if we were in that situation, I think it is right that we have that choice. 
Can um, children opt in though? Can they make that decision children, to opt in? I don't think legally the children I suppose what the emphasis is on having the discussion with children and finding their wishes of what they might want to happen and then honouring them. So it is still ultimately the parents' decision up until they're 18, and then they would go into the opt-in and opt-out system. I think the children obviously can express their wishes and what they would like to happen, but it comes down to at that time of making that decision, it is on the parents Parents. to choose. Yeah. How did that law come about? Was it a couple of children's parents that so, yeah, brought that Max law into place? Yeah, so Max and Kira's law. So they were children waiting for an organ donation. I mean, it came into effect in May 2020, which meant that all adults are considered to have agreed to organ donation unless they choose to withdraw that choice. So there's a criteria for adults. that If you don't meet the criteria, then you don't have to make that decision so obviously under 18s mm-hmm. people who don't have the capacity to make decisions yeah. themselves, anybody that isn't legally in the UK people who haven't lived in here for less than 12 months and those that are here voluntarily are not here voluntarily so there are some categories that you automatically don't just go into the opt-in and opt-out system but for yourself and I, unless we were to withdraw this, then we would be opt-in to organ donation. Say, for example, an adult died and they were opted in because they haven't opted out. And possibly they might not know about this new system. So possibly mm. they may not have agreed. I'm just thinking theoretically. So if they were in hospital and their family members were there and they had to make yeah. that very quick decision as we've talked about very time sensitive decision and the families had a feeling that even though they were opted in they had a feeling they may not want to be an organ donor how does that work do you know so I don't know the legalities of it but from my understanding the transplant teams that are involved in adults are obviously also really highly sensitive and they would be having discussions with the family. And I think if they felt that there was some disagreement, they would respect the family's wishes and they would talk to them. Nobody would ever want it to be a, well, this is this situation and your voice doesn't matter type thing. Mm -hmm. So I think it would all come down to the family, the situation at the time. I'm not sure on the legalities to if they haven't withdrawn, does that mean that they just go ahead or, but I I do know they do massively take on board the family's input in these situations. Yeah. And yeah, have the family consent to a Mm. certain extent. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously they're going to go through this incredible trauma. So they're going to have to feel that it's the right thing to do for them as well. And sometimes if they weren't expecting it, it can be a comfort for them knowing that this horrible thing has happened, unthinkable thing has happened, but knowing they're going to save other people's lives could be a sort of, not a positive, but they can take comfort from it possibly. So I know from speaking to other people that have been in my position and hearing their stories on it, they have contacted the donor's family after receiving transplant and they have discussed it with them and they've kept in contact and mm. they're obviously so immensely grateful and the donation the, the family of the donor they do see it like you've just explained it that they're okay it's not a positive situation but there is something that is left that's almost like a legacy like yeah. given that gift of life and it does mean for them they lost someone that they love and cared for 
but it did give an opportunity for another person to have another chance. And I, I think they take great comfort in knowing that after when we're going through trauma and uh, and immediately afterwards, I don't think we really appreciate or take on board these thoughts because you're so focused on what you've lost and the grief. And the transplant team, I think, often say wait a little while to contact them because they're going through something horrendous. On the other side of that, you're going through something that is life-changing, but equally quite traumatic. So when things have sort of settled down a bit, then they do encourage massively to contacting the donor families and expressing how you feel and how grateful you are. And I know that they massively appreciate that because they do then see what they've done is a, is a legacy, is a potential positive for another person. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Laura. I'm wondering if the new law has helped with the length of the waiting list. Do you know what the waiting lists are like? Have you been given an average time from so, now onwards? Is it longer for children as well because there's less child yeah. donors? So for children, there are less child donors. I think from what I saw from the organ donation website that in 2021 and 2022, that only 52% of families gave consent for their children's organs to be donated, which resulted in 40 organ donations compared to the 243 children on the active list. Mm-hmm. So only half the children that passed away in a way that was suitable for organ donation actually went on to donate their organs. So the child waiting list is a lot longer because the size of the child and the available organs to them. Mm-hmm. obviously they they have to match for sizes so if you've got a really tiny child and they're waiting for like a say a heart transplant they need a heart of a similar size because it's got to go into the existing chest cavity some other organs so for liver for example they can trim the liver down and they can for Sophie's case because she's really tall Sophie can actually take a lung transplant from an adult donor because now they've as medicine grows and their technology changes they can actually trim lungs now to fit smaller patients so she could have an adult lungs that they actually trim down to size for her so we've been given a an estimated time frame of about eight to nine months so we're approaching halfway but that depends on lots of variables and that could be longer but we are probably in a better position because we can have those adult lungs if an offer came up for us our first offer that we went up gosh was actually an adult set of lungs that they were right. going to treat yeah can she take child-sized lungs as well or would they save those for potentially, uh, children potentially, yeah yeah can't so, take the adult lungs yeah when they look at the list I imagine these are all things they are taking into consideration so mm-hmm. if there's two children and say the lungs and the tissue type match two children Sophie and a smaller child obviously Sophie can get an adult donation the child that's smaller couldn't so I imagine they look at it on all these aspects and it will go to the candidate that they feel is most viable for those organs at the time yeah lots of factors to consider like you've said yeah yeah intense factors to look at at the time of making the decision of who you're going to try and call in at the time of liaising with the donor the donation hospital and all, all those things so lots of things that are going on in the background before you even get the call to say that's point it's amazing how organs can be used between adults and children I did read a story on the NHS website there's some brilliant inspiring stories on there about organ donation there was a man in his 70s 
that donated his heart valves and it saved four babies. Yeah, that because was again, remarkable. heart valves are obviously not the size of a full heart, so they can yeah. be trimmed to fit. The organ donation, when we think about donation, we could probably focus on a solid organ donation, but you yeah. also, you know, donation is blood platelets and um, plasma that we use for blood transfusions we tissue donations bone marrow donations there's so many donations that that are undertaken that aren't just solid organ donations there's so many now that they can use and retrieve and a lot um, of those we can do living as well can't we the blood donation the plasma and bone marrow yeah as a living is it Anthony yeah. Nolan Trust, isn't it, where you can sign up to be a potential stem cell donor? So there's lots yeah. of lots of aspects of donation. That doesn't mean that you have to unfortunately pass away to undertake. Mm-hmm. We could all donate blood. We could join the register for bone marrow or stem cells. And yeah, there's there's lots of different aspects to donation as such. Yeah. Let's talk about the misconceptions when it comes to organ donation. Can you help clear some of these up? Because I think that could be a few reasons why people decline organ donations there's things like yeah. a delay in the funeral maybe disfigured after donating people thinking that you have to donate everything but you can just choose to donate some organs and not others can't you so yeah. can you help clear some of that up Laura yeah so I looked on the organ donation NHS website to just get some accurate information on this and Funerals aren't delayed or affected by organ donation. The specialist nurses will always include the families and speak to the families and take on board any religion that they have and any impact that that might cause for funerals. Some religions mean that they like to have the body returned and the funeral to go ahead within a time frame. So depending on your beliefs and your faith beliefs, they will always talk to you about that and any impact it might have but there is no reason as to why there would be a knock-on delay. Technically, the patient, although is going for organ donation, they're still being kept alive at this point artificially. So until they've had the organs retrieved, they're still not passed on as yet. So as soon as that's done, then the body would go back as normal if they didn't donate their organs. The surgery, as with any surgery, they're performed by highly trained and professionals members of the NHS and they'll be meticulous in what they're doing yes there will be some scars left obviously if they do retrieve organs but they will take the utmost care when they're performing this not only because obviously they're taking care and what they're removing but they appreciate what's going on with the patient who is donating these organs Mm. so they will dress the wounds and return the patient in the same way they would do if they were having any other surgery performed It's about keeping their dignity as well, isn't it, I suppose? Absolutely, yeah. And I think there's such a a massive respect and admiration for anybody that does donate organs that they want to perform this in a respectful way for what somebody's doing. So I think the the misconceptions are that obviously surgery is going to be performed, organs are removed. They're not going to care, but of course they will. Further against it, they've obviously Mm -hmm. got a duty to care for the patient. They're obviously meticulous in their surgery because what they're removing needs to be done in the best way to preserve the organ but they also have a massive amount of respect and admiration for the donor Mm. and would be the whole time appreciating that this patient is going to donate something that could save and change your life so they would do it in such a respectful way yeah 
And yeah, I mean, these misconceptions hopefully shouldn't put people off. And it's and we're all entitled to make our own decision about organ donation, but having all the correct information that will enable someone to make their informed decision. And like you say, on the NHS yeah. website, it will hopefully clear a lot of those things up and give people the right facts and figures about it. Yeah, definitely. I would totally, if anybody wanted to find out more, point them into direct, the direction of the organ donation NHS website. It's it's really informative. There's lots of resources available as well for for children to have discussions and there's a mass of information on there which hopefully would alleviate people's concerns yeah let's talk about children then and organ donation because presumably there are less child donors because less children die than adults and understandably possibly when you're in that situation a very traumatic unthinkable day when your child dies having to make that decision about organ donation must be incredibly difficult especially if you haven't had that conversation with them, not knowing, like you said before, their wishes. And as parents, it's going to be very difficult to have that conversation about death with our children. Yeah. Understandably. But why are you advocating for these conversations to be had? Why do you think it is so important to have these conversations with our children and our families? So I think obviously it comes down to the appropriateness of the age of your children. Obviously, no one's going to want to talk to toddlers and preschool children about what they would want to happen if they were to unfortunately pass away, because it's not probably the most appropriate way or thing to talk about. I know I wouldn't have wanted to do that. But as children get older and they're more aware and, you know, we've got such an input of social media in our children's lives now, what they see, what they're exposed to, they're probably exposed to more than we realise. And I think as they get older, having a conversation about a potential what-if scenario where you are saying, you know, if something was to happen, what would you want to happen with the organs that you have? In a less traumatic, less emotional situation, opens up the conversation and allows us as parents to maybe have an understanding of what our children would want to happen is pitching it right. I totally appreciate that there'll be ages of children that it's not appropriate to talk to or introduce the conversation to. But I suppose it's given them an awareness. The other side to this is that we all go through life hoping that nothing happens to our children. Now, we knew from birth that our path was going to be slightly different and we would end up at organ donation at some point. So we had an awareness and an understanding of it that it was going to happen There were some children on the organ donation list that were absolutely well a month ago, but have been struck down with viruses, illnesses, which then means that they've gone from not even having to think about organ donation or death to now being on the list. So it could happen to any of us at any point with our children. We could at any point be on the other end of this where we are hoping somebody agrees to donation. Hopefully, you know, that doesn't happen. But that's not to say that things change for us and our children they become unwell and then we're in the position where we're then having to have the chat that you need to have an organ donation to have a future so I suppose we're all I definitely am naive in a lot of things like this because unless you're living in it you're not aware to it but having a bit of information a bit of awareness and if appropriate having a conversation opens you up to not only what might happen you might choose to happen if you were in that situation 
But equally, the other side of it, if something happened to your child and they ended up on the donation list, you know, what would your perception be then? Yeah. And I think when you talk about things with children or like you say, at a certain age, when they get a bit older, you're not going to talk about it when they're toddlers and and preschoolers. But when they get to, say, 10, I've got a 10 year old as well. And they're going into that adolescent age. They do like to talk about things and they like to take ownership of their own decisions as well. Yeah. And they do want to know what's going on. They don't want to be hidden from certain situations. We can't protect them forever. No. And it is about that gradual information, isn't it? Not bombarding them with Absolutely. this scary I stuff, mean, but feeding it, it in, like, like you say. Pitch, it's isn't it? like, you know, as a mum to your children, you know how your children are, how they cope with information and if it was going to overwhelm them, if it was going to scare them, you would deliver it in a way that is appropriate for your child. So nobody would sit down and be like blunt to the point with children about, okay, if you had an accident and you were to die, what would you want to have? It's more about just being aware of organ donation, aware that at any point we might need an organ donation. I mean, the majority of people go through life and they don't. That's, That's fantastic. But things do change illnesses happen and you could be really unfortunate that you've lived a really healthy lifestyle and then you end up on a list because of something that's just happened to you out of control Um, yeah yeah so it's having that awareness that chat that talk about it that you know what would you want to happen if you didn't need your organs anymore if you were to pass away and in an appropriate way for for your child we as adults know how to handle our children to the best I think we can do you've got to be sensitive you've got to be aware of of how they're going to understand it I've been on the organ donation list since I was 18 and I've been on it my whole life and before I had Sophie I was I was obviously on it and my perception is that if I'm suitable once I pass away then if I can go on to help anybody then they can have them but not everybody sees it that way and it is an individual choice for our children we obviously are their voice while they are under 18 so we need to make sure we're making what's best for our family, but mm. also what our children might want as they get older and they can communicate that to us. Because they still have beliefs and views, don't they, as they get older into teenagers, particularly, they have <laughs> strong beliefs. And if you do have that conversation with them, they might say, yeah, I think I would, but maybe I wouldn't want to donate this organ, but I would be happy to donate everything else. So if that unthinkable day did happen you would take comfort again knowing that you've had that conversation and you think well yeah they wanted that to happen or they didn't want that to happen so that would then help those families make that decision a bit more easier on that day yeah and because it's a decision that to be blunt once made it can't be changed I think you've got to take comfort in what you do at that time as well and if you are undecided because you don't know what your children would like I mean Mm. I'd like to think that if Sophie was healthy and in a position to be eligible for organ donation if something tragic did happen to her the type of child she is um, I'd like to think she would want that and obviously we would have had that discussion um, when appropriate and me being on the organ donation list I think we would have discussed it as uh, I would have said, you know, so if I'm on the organ donation list, if anything happened to me, this is what I would want to happen. And I, you know, who's to say that she might not have been met with that type of decision from my behalf if something happened to me. If something might have happened to me and she might have been in a position where she was able to communicate what she thinks I would want. 
And you're making such a huge decision at a time when you probably can't even remember what day it is. You know, you're so caught up and there's so much trauma going on that you can only make that decision once. And if you make it wrong, will you afterwards regret it? I don't know. So having that discussion, giving yourself as much information as you can have will help, I think, moving forward as well, that you can be comfortable in knowing that actually, no, I didn't want to donate those organs. They wouldn't want that. And that's absolutely fine. You know, there is no judgment either side here. And I don't know if people sometimes feel like they feel pressured or it's a guilt thing when families that are waiting for a call are are trying to encourage the chat and things. And it's really not from that perspective. You know, no parent, especially even us on the list, wants to think that a family is having to go through this. So there is no judgment on what decision. I think the awareness is to make sure that you've made the right decision for yourself and your family. Yeah. And if that is no we don't want to donate then there is no judgment because you've made an informed decision that is the best for you and you're going through such an awful thing it's not to be changed it's not to be made to feel bad about that because that is what you've made best for you and that's all we can hope for but I think from the perspective of the the campaigns that go on and the awareness is is just to make sure that when that decision is made it's made with the best information that you've got at the time yeah an informed decision knowing you've had that conversation especially with the law that enables everyone opted in yeah probably even more important now to have that conversation with our adult members of the family because they're all automatically opted in unless they opt out so we want to make sure we definitely have those conversations with our adult members of the family you know the way you could look at it with your children when they're appropriate and obviously you don't want to breach the fact that we as parents might die But that does happen. And saying to your children that are old enough to say, you know, if anything happened to me and I could donate my organs, that's what I would want because I am on the list. Hmm. That gives them an awareness as well. And that might spark them to think, oh, actually, yeah, I would want to donate my organs too. And then it it doesn't have to be extensive. It doesn't have to be in depth. It just needs to probably spark a little bit of thought. And if, if you're on the list yourselves and you say to your children, do you know what? If anything unthinkable happened to me and they could take my organs, of course, I'd like to potentially give life to somebody else. Or equally, I wouldn't want to be an organ donor. That's fine, too, because they'll take that perspective and it might make them then think about what they would want to happen. Absolutely. I did have a little conversation last night at dinner because I mentioned about the podcast today. So I thought that was a good time to bring it up so I did ask yeah. my husband because I didn't actually know about yeah. his views on it so that was good to find out and my seven-year-old was there at the dinner table but to be honest he didn't really know what we were talking about and I didn't kind of make it age appropriate for him because I didn't feel like I needed to just yet but yeah. my 10 year old was there and he put his views in as well so yeah that was good because of this podcast we've had that conversation yeah. And these are your views and these are your choices. And there is, it really doesn't matter to anybody else what you would want to choose or what you do choose. I think we would only take a positive away is that actually you've had the, that you've had the conversation. Yeah. You've, what you choose to do is 100% your choice with no judgment there at all. But I suppose if there was a, a win from the situation is you've had that chat now, you, you know what you would do. Yeah. And you, you'll make the decision that you want to make. And you'll be confident of that. So regardless of what you do decide, it is just having that 
confirmation you've had the chat you respect each other's views on it whether it's for or against and I think that's the main point of the awareness campaigns isn't to make you make a decision that benefits the pros or the cons for it it's to just have the chat and to ascertain what you would want to happen for your own choices do they have these chats at school because that would help open the conversation at home because it would spark like you say spark thought I don't remember having when I was I think secondary school children are meant to be having this but I've spoken to a few local families and I'm like oh does your secondary schooler talk about it and not really a lot of families local close to myself and Sophie they've had conversations because we're on the list has actually been like a conversation opener they were like oh you know Sophie's on the list for organ donation now so fortunately they've had that conversation but my understanding and from what I've seen online is that secondary school children should be given information about this during school but Hmm. um, without asking directly if they've had it I, I don't know I wonder if they do it around the awareness week like now that would be a good time to do it but so I've asked Sophie if during her academic life at her school they've talked about it and they haven't but then she is 10 she's in year six so she is more infant to junior age range there's been a a massive push over the last couple of years to introduce it at a secondary level again not just on solid organ donation but talking about blood donation stem cell donation the wider type of transplants and donations that that do happen I know there's a whole host of literature online I also know that you can request speakers to come into secondary school and you can get there's families that have been on the donation list and also families associated to organ donors that are happy to come in and talk about the experience to bring it to life to children where it's appropriate. So speaking of awareness, Laura, Sophie is doing amazing spreading awareness herself. So tell us more about the campaign she's involved in. It seems incredibly brave for her to put herself out there in that way as well. Yeah, so... It was a bit random, really. So back in the summer, I saw a post on Facebook from a photographer, a lady called Debbie Todd. She's based up north. And she was traveling around the country, taking photos of children who are waiting for transplant or who have received transplant. And she was putting together a piece and a show. And it was going to be released during Organ Donation Awareness Week, which we are in. Mm-hmm. And it is on display up in Sunderland and Newcastle. And she's worked in conjunction with the Red Sky Foundation, which is a charity based up north. And together they have put on a fantastic display with photographs of, of again, children like Sophie who are waiting for the call. And it's actually called The Call, which is quite yeah. poignant. And it is primarily aimed at children and the awareness for child organ donation because she realised that there is a lack of child organ donors. There's some families from up north, there's a little girl called Beatrix who had been in hospital for the majority of her her life. She's a young, young child. She was waiting for a heart transplant. Her parents tragically had a stillborn before Beatrix and they donated the organs from their stillborn for science. And then they had B, and unfortunately, she then needed a heart transplant. So cruel twist of fate there, really, that then she had to become on the organ donation list herself. So uh, she's actually had her heart transplant now and was covering really well. So Beatrix is featured. There's lots of children from all different aspects of organ donation that are featured. They've also got children that sadly didn't make 
their call who passed away before they got their call for transplant because while we are waiting and we're hopeful that we do get the call there are some children that unfortunately don't receive their potential gift so they are featured as well so the photographer's called Debbie Todd uh, Red Sky Foundation they're on social media there's a lot of publication going on and a lot of awareness and a lot of spreading awareness at the moment because we are in the middle of the organ donation week yeah, I bet you're so proud of Sophie actually doing that and being so brave to be yeah. on the poster and, you know, in front of so everyone Sophie to see. Is really, yeah, she's quite an anxious little girl. She's confident, but not the most confident. And I don't know how I would feel being on a big billboard. It's probably in a way better that it is up north and it's not something she's seeing as we go around our roads because I yeah. think she'd be a bit like, oh my God, that's me. But yeah, it's fantastic that she's featured and it's fantastic that her aspect is being put across for that, as well as all the other children who are in the same situation here. Yeah. And because the children are on the posters, it will help spark conversation amongst the younger generation, hopefully, as well, because they will see a child on the poster and, and it'll yeah. be a bit more relatable. So they'll hopefully the children will think, oh, why is that child on the poster? Tell me more. And that will help, hopefully, with the conversations, won't it, as well? Yeah, they would associate hopefully that similar ages and they would see a child and like you say, be like, well, they look similar to me. Why are they on yeah. that picture? Or, you know, and it, it's, a, it's a motive from a parent perspective as well. When you see other children, I see other children, although I'm in the same, the same situation, yeah. your heart just goes to them. You just get drawn into it and you think, oh, my God, you know, what can we do to help? And how can they be so positive in such a quite soul destroying situation at times? Yeah. Well, like you are, and just inspiring, Laura. Amazing. Yeah, no, I mean, it's hard to explain. We've lived with this as a potential. Like, I've known no different. I've only got Sophie. So my experience of motherhood from day one is probably a little bit different to others. So I know no different, which I think sometimes helped because I, I think if I had a, a healthy child that was doing all the the other things that we don't do, I would see the difference a lot more and it'd be a lot harder to understand. But because primarily all I see is Sophie and that is my focus, you sort of, it just becomes day to day a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. So when did you start telling Sophie about what she was going through? Obviously it's happened since birth, all the different medical things that you've had to go through. So when did you, did you have to sort of drip feed certain things in as she's got older? When did she find out that she needed an organ transplant in order to live? So with Sophie, I've always been as honest as appropriate. And there are some conversations that we won't have because I don't feel that having them at this stage is beneficial. We have to accept there are risks associated and even post-transplant, you know, life will hopefully be better, but there are still some significant risks associated with living post-transplant, how your body copes with a transplant. So again, it is learning to pitch it at an appropriate level. So Sophie was born with her heart defects. So from the earliest of ages, she was already aware that she was slightly different. She's always taking medication. She's had overnight oxygen now and sometimes in the day since she's about four or five years old. She's attended mainstream school, but she's never really been included in any physical aspects and no clubs going on. You know, she's quite isolated at times. So we've talked through these things as they happen. Mm -hmm. Sophie's aware that she's got health issues and she's sort of grown with them and she's grown with the limitations. And then as she's got bigger, 
the physical limitations because of her illnesses where she is more tired she can't keep up physically you know she's not the same as other children has become more aware so we've sort of grown with that as well and she is super with everything you know amount of hospital appointments we've had admissions procedures and she's never once complained I think she's made it so much easier for me as a parent because yeah she's so mature with it and there's it's not a battle and I feel for the parents I've seen it when you're in hospital and your children are just it's so overwhelming for them that a blood test or a, an echocardiogram it becomes too much for them and it, it understandably you know, really absolutely but, yeah and I feel for them massively I've just yeah. been although in an unfortunate situation with her I've just been really fortunate that she has taken it all in her stride and does have her down days and I think the hardest for Sophie is that she is different to other children and I suppose her illnesses are are almost invisible disability Mm. so when she's in school and she can't do things if you look at her you wouldn't look at her and think she's in the position she's in so she copes with it fantastically and we just talk about it as it comes up now with transplant obviously we discussed what we were going up for and we talked about organ donation and we talked about what that means and that for Sophie to have a better future to be rid of a lot of her symptoms and to have hopefully get back to doing things that she enjoys physically she would need to receive a donor set of lungs and we talked about what that actually means that you know that comes from someone who's passed away And at that time, Sophie would undergo surgery to receive those organs. And again, it is, I suppose, being as a parent aware of how to talk to your child about those things and Mm -hmm. doing it at a level that isn't particularly overwhelming. It's a really hard topic to have on both sides. You know, we talked about discussing about organ donation with children. And then the side that we're at is to receive a donor organ and what that means and then to live with that for and you know as grateful as as we are for donations that's a lot for people to get their head around that especially children that they're gonna for them to have a future they've got to receive something from someone that's passed away because it's hard to grasp and we've talked about death I mean no parents want to sit there and talk about death with their children but for some like us that's the stark reality of what life is or what life could be you know death is a lot closer and we we talked about that and we've discussed that in in a way that we're not trying to glorify it and be like death could happen or anything like that. But what you don't want is for that to be a feared aspect as well, because when you're on the transplant list, you've got to do something they call parallel planning, which is in theory you plan for transplant, but you also alongside that you plan with palliative care because mm-hmm. you do not know which route you might have to take. So we we work with Julia's House Children's Hospice. Um, they're fantastic, fantastic support. And what they do is phenomenal. They're brilliant for what they do and how they treat the children. It's just amazing. And we have a palliative care plan in place so that if we had to go down that route, we have that and we've talked about that. Yeah. Obviously, we don't talk about it all the time. Yeah. And we just talk about and we use personal experiences. So my auntie passed away, which is probably the first adult that Sophie lost in her life she was eight and we talk about death when it's relevant we we say you know well such and such passed away and if you believe that they go to heaven that's great and what they'll be doing now and that they're out of pain and you know death does happen to us all and we do not know when it's going to happen and we don't want to think about it but it is inevitable at some point and again it is just pitching it at the right level yeah no one wants to sit there and be like to our kids 
let's talk about what happens when we die because that's just such a morbid thought and you don't want to be introducing that but the reality for the families that are on the list is that is a lot closer to us than we would like yeah so it has to be a thought process you have to have an awareness of it because it can't almost can't be feared in a way yeah you're right thank you Laura how can people find out more about organ donation specifically with children's donations are there resources that we can get hold of that can help families in your situation or help families on the other side of it as well yeah so the first place I would point you to is the NHS organ donation website there is a fantastic amount of information on there that is given at a level that is understandable for all there's some resources that you can download social media is is great for adults to have an awareness of it to follow the organ donation pages the campaigns and just try and absorb some information and just I suppose the purpose like we've mentioned before is just to be aware of what's going on and understand any like you say misconceptions that you might have had about organ donation but that is the first point I would say you can contact them for further information as well I know that they would be more than happy to provide more if that's what was needed Definitely. There was a book that I found, actually. It's called Freddy and the Magic Heart, written by Wigan ICU nurse Mark Ainscoff. And it helps raise awareness of organ donation in the younger generation. So if, say, for example, I think it talks about a family member needing an organ transplant. So it explains to children about what that means. So that that was quite nice that I found out. My last question, Laura, what key message would you like to get across today? So I suppose from my perspective, and I can't speak for everybody in a similar situation, it is just being aware. It is just taking a couple of minutes to look at some factual information, especially when it comes to children. As adults, you know, we can make ourselves as aware and go into the depths we want to, to recognise and understand organ donation. For parents, it's being aware. It's just having an understanding, as mentioned, It's never about trying to force someone to make a choice that they don't want to do. It's just making sure it's an informed choice. They're happy with the choice that they would decide if they needed to. Sparking a discussion with children when they're appropriate about it, opening their eyes up to it. Again, like we discussed, hopefully no one would be in the situation where their children becomes unwell and needs a donor organ. But that is what happens. To a lot of these children, not all children are born with illnesses that end up on the the donation list. Some of them are perfectly healthy children that at any point could be struck down with something that then results them needing it. So it's just awareness, just understanding, just taking five minutes to look at the campaigns. Follow, if, if you've got social media, follow families that are going through it. Follow some of the younger children that have quite extensive pages and see from a perspective of family going through it just how important it is to have an awareness of what is going on with our children and the impact that organ donation can have to give them a future. Yeah, thank you, Laura. Well, I hope this podcast stimulates more conversations on organ donation. As you say, please keep us posted on Sophie's journey. She sounds like a wonderful young lady and I'm sure everyone is wishing you all the best and the news of the transplant to come very, very soon. It's been an absolute pleasure and a privilege talking to you, Laura. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kiri. And thank you for taking time to talk about this and to help highlight the awareness, especially during Organ Donation Week. It's really, really vital and it's it's brilliant that you would do that for us my pleasure thank you so much 
Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. If you haven't already, please follow Kiri Presents or Inspiring Stories on the podcast platform of your choice. And don't forget to share on the socials if you enjoyed it. Thank you very much and talk to you soon.